wonderful thing that God is doing in and through us. So I want to start tonight with acknowledging that we have a very real, formidable, invisible enemy. First Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Ephesians 6, 12 says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The names of Satan in many ways convey his conduct and his character. In the same way that when we think of God and we talk about him as Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, that tells us about who he is, the names of Satan does likewise. He is called the great blasphemer, a roaring lion, a dragon, an accuser, a tempter, a murderer, the evil one, a serpent, adversary, thief, father of lives, prince of this world, power of darkness, and wicked one. Nancy Guthrie says this, to laugh off the reality of Satan is to open doors for his lies to deceive you, his accusations to assault you, and his evil to overpower you. He wants to trick you, to tempt you, to destroy you, and to devour you. This is the enemy. Make no mistake about it. When God talks about loving our enemies, that is not who he's talking about. There's a very specific way that he wants us to interact with those who are dubbed enemies. And as we explored through 1 John, we talked about what it would look like to know him and to be known by him. So verses 2 through 11 in 1 John 2 says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever loves Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. If anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So then the real question for us becomes, well, how did Jesus live? Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because darkness has blinded them. God commands that we love and love our enemies. One of the greatest lies in learning to love our enemy is the perpetual deception that a person or some people are the enemy. So what does it mean to love our enemy and how does the Lord command us to do so? In Luke 6, 35, it says, but, your enemy, but love your enemies and do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And he further continues in Matthew 5, 43 through 48, and he says, 
You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of our Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The greatest lie to loving our enemy is the perpetual deception that a person is the enemy. So what we're going to do is to transform our minds. We're going to think differently about these people that we call enemies. And we're going to start with a little activity. On your table are two sets of lists. A set of lists of real villains and a set of lists of cartoon villains. Your table has the great task of deciding, ranking the top three villains, worse, the top three from worst to the least of the 10, you only can choose three. You should have agreement. I'm only giving you four minutes. So figure it out and let us know who are your top villains. Thank <laughs> you. 
volunteer their top three from the cartoon list. Any table volunteer their top three? Yes, table three. All right, so we said, well, Scar was number one. Ursula, number two. Mother Gotham, number three. Because oh. from what we remember, none of them had remorse in their evil ways. Very good. Did any of the tables choose Scar for number one? Okay, good job. Thank you, table three. Is there a table that would choose their top three real villains that would share those with us? Did anyone get that far? Okay. <laughs> we picked Thanos. Yes. Lord Voldemort. Yes. And then the Joker. Very good. Did anyone else have any of those in their top three? From the real ones? Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Thank you guys for doing that. So, so let me tell you, this is going on. So let me explain this to you. I love that this happened in this room. Because when I presented this to my three children, it was an all-out war in our house. And I mean a war. If you've ever had the unique opportunity to be around the three of them all together, you can only imagine the volume, the intensity, and the all-out warness of it. And then we invited an aunt and uncle into the conversation, and then there were divided lines based on gender, there were divided lines and near fighting based on who was on the top. It was a whole situation, y'all, like this. What happened in this room happens when you start to try to rate villains. But there are entire movie genres that depict these people for us. Think about movies like The Grinch, Suicide Squad, Descendants, and if I'm naming movies that you've never heard of, it's okay, don't worry about that. You can check them out. <laughs> X-Men with Magneto, The Fast Series, Cruella DeVille, Maleficent, Loki, all of these are characters that we now have backstories to. And let's, let's just talk about it for a second because these villains are cool and they are distracting and their stories are amazing and sometimes they're super easy to hate, Palpatine. And then other times they are increasingly easy to love, Loki, because now you understand them a little bit better, right? So this is the thing. We have work to do because sometimes it is easy, easier for us to understand when we have a full story. So tonight, God is inviting us into an opportunity to transition our minds in three different ways. And I don't know what he's doing with you because he wrecked all three of these ways with me. But enemies are people. And enemies or people have backstories. Enemies or people morph. And enemies or people can be an indicator. This is hard stuff. So in front of every section that I transition to, I have a tiny prayer. And it's the same prayer for each and every one. Lord, we need you. You alone know us and this person who may be difficult for us. You alone are able to transform our minds, change our hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh for your glory. 
Before we get into the meat of this, I want you to just take a second. It can be on your sheet. Intentionally, there isn't anything to fill out tonight because what we're weeding through for me felt so weighty that I just wanted to give you an opportunity to just sit with it. Just let it roll over you and let the Lord speak to you. But I want you to take a second and consider if there's someone in your life that you have in your mind as an enemy, jot down their initials. We're gonna come back to that name at some point later in the evening. And if you don't have someone in your mind, praise the Lord. Maybe think back, perhaps there's someone back in the old days that you can think of, or maybe it's someone who might consider you their enemy. You can jot down their name or initials. When we see people, enemies, villains as actual people, it can transform us. When it comes to movies, it can help us to root for them. And tonight, God might be asking us to transition our minds. And why might you ask? Because they're his image bearers, just like us. Because he loves them, just like he loves us. And he commands us to love them. And bonus, because this might help someone in the room. You are likely someone's villain. This is hard. Because in someone's story, we are the enemy. In Ezekiel, the prophet is sitting in a valley of dry bones. And he is able to see bone have tendon attached and flesh and skin and the breath come from all four corners. And I'm praying that God will do that in our hearts and in our minds, that he will allow our minds to transition from an enemy as a villain to an enemy as a person, a person God intends us to love. Consider some of the people that we encounter in the Bible. David, a shepherd, a giant slayer, a man after God's own heart, also an adulterer and a murderer. How is it that we see David as a man after God's own heart? Because we know his story. Rahab, a prostitute, a liar, a savior of spies in the lineage of Jesus. I'm sorry, what? How is it that we know her that way? We know her in the lineage of Jesus because we know her whole story. The woman caught in adultery. There was a man too, by the way, but nobody talks about him. It's okay. That's a discussion for another night. <laughs> that woman who was an adulterer, is forgiven. And that's what we know about her because we know her story. Tamar, wife, widow. She slept with three men in the same family. She pretended to be a prostitute, a shrine prostitute. She is in the genealogy of Jesus. How do we see her there? Because God gave us her full story. What about the person that came to mind for you? 
do they have a story? And even if you can't think about theirs or it's too hard, do you have a story? Is there something about your life that you wish someone would consider? You wish they knew to get a more full understanding of you? God may be asking you to consider their story. Number two, enemies morph. Lord, we need you. This is the prayer I'm doing before each section. Lord, we need you. You alone know us and this person who is difficult for us. You alone are able to transform our minds. Change our hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh for your glory. So here's a general truth. Everybody is not for everybody. Everybody can't be your bestie and you can't be theirs either. Some people have to be tolerated and some people have to tolerate you. But if you think really, really hard, the enemy, a person you thought of, a difficult person, was likely very close to you at some point. Maybe a coworker, maybe a friend, maybe someone you did life in ministry with, maybe a family member. In the work that I do, I have a unique opportunity to deal with friendship circles all the time. I call them friendship hurricanes at their worst. I see groups of people change radically in the drop of a second. From wanting to be in every single space together all the time, breathing in each other's energy all the time, to never wanting to see them ever again, ever. From sleepovers to hatred to fighting, I see it all. And whenever I navigate these friendship hurricanes, I encourage the groups to own their slice, establish and enforce needed boundaries, and identify one thing that they need to do moving forward to remove themselves from toxicity. Think about it. The person who is a mortal enemy was likely, for all of those friendship hurricanes, intimately close to them before, which is why it makes it so hard, makes them so difficult and such an issue. They know too much. If it's possible for a person to go from a bestie to a mortal enemy, is it also possible a person can go from mortal enemy to friend? Gandhi says this, it is easy enough to be friendly to one's friends, but to befriend one who regards himself as your enemy is the quintessence of true religion. The other is mere business. Martin Luther King says, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Other secular sources say one of the most powerful effects of learning to love your enemy is that your enemy can become your friend. While it is counterproductive to be fighting with an enemy, it is very productive to add new friends to your life. Isn't that hopeful? <laughs> Maybe they can help you accomplish things. A new friend instead of an enemy makes an incredible difference. And if that enemy is a family member or former friend, reuniting can be extremely powerful and important. And it's true. 
but if everyone can't be your friend, is it worth your energy and emotional investment to hold on to hatred and discord, the amount of energy it takes? A similar secular source says this, the mental venom can eat you up inside and cause destruction and pollute your spirit, poison your soul and seep into all the relationships that surround you. Anyone who has found themselves wrapped up in the arms of hate knows how damaging and mind consuming it can become. The most destructive energy is hatred toward people. Hatred when left unchecked will drain your spirit tarnish your soul and darken your days. This is a secular source. People out there in the world get it. It is too draining to deal with hatred and discord. But please do not hear what I'm not saying. Not everyone is safe. Not everyone should be allowed in your inner circle. Not everyone is for you. Not everyone should be trusted. Boundaries are crucial, critical, and essential for your well-being. But we are human, and humans have a propensity to change. It's evidenced by the fact that maybe the person that you thought of as an enemy tonight used to be a friend. So remember that people morph. And when we remember, it acknowledges our ability to mature spiritually, and to free ourselves from the emotional hole that hatred and discord can have over us. Number three, enemies as indicators. This is that prayer again, y'all, because we need it. At least I do. Lord, we need you. You alone know us and this person that is difficult for us. You alone are able Change our hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh for your glory. Though scripture says that we do not fight against flesh and blood, it does not say that there isn't an actual fight and that there aren't actual people fighting against us. So what do we do when fighting is actually happening? As much as it depends on you. Don't you love that phrase in scripture? As much as it depends on you. Say that with me. As much as it depends on you. In the relational equation, the only variable that you control is you. So control the controllable. If possible, take yourself out of the fight. Disconnect from any emotional turmoil. Depersonalize as best you can. When provoked, irritated, annoyed, or angry, evaluate what is coming out. People can't bring out of you what's not already inside. I'm gonna say that one more time. People cannot bring out of you what's not already inside. So ask yourself, with this person, in this situation, and am I becoming more like Christ or less like him? Consider why God is allowing this person around you. Are they an indicator of your walk? 
And listen, I know. I have been through this, y'all. I'm being raked over the coals like all of us are. I didn't like when I heard it either. But as I evaluate the person that comes to mind for me, I had to consider what is the Lord growing in me? What is the Lord pruning from me? What is the Lord revealing in me and to me about me? And what is the Lord fostering in me through this person? What is the Lord extracting out of me? Again, don't hear what I'm not saying. There are people the Lord is calling out of your life. They are not good for you and cannot remain in your life. But we are still commanded to love them. Amen. Amen. Two weeks ago, Crystal gave us a beautiful framework for what that love looks like. That it is action when action is possible and necessary. And it has boundaries to protect you and frees you up to love. But God may just be using this person as an indicator of your walk. And I assure you, I am not up here or talking about this because I get it right. I don't. I get it as wrong as the rest of us do. We are a work in progress. Sometimes I get it right and sometimes <coughs> I get it wrong. There's a text stream on one of these slides that details me getting it flat out wrong. Flat out wrong. There was a situation that happened at work. It was recent. It was like last week. A person who provoked me, provokes me continuously, asked a task of me that was not necessary. And I balked at it. And I resisted. And the Lord brought it to my mind as I was preparing for our talk. And I had to make right. And I had to recant and pull back and pray for forgiveness. He has also on three separate occasions allowed me to live with people or person that was considered an enemy for me. And I watched the Lord take all three of those things that enemies that enemies morph. Can go from a person who should protect to a person who does not. Who should stay that does not. That they have backstories, like my mom and dad, with their own sense of brokenness, fighting in a household, to it's an indicator dawn of your walk. How mature are you really when you're pressed? When someone lives in your home as a guest and becomes a nightmare? How much like Christ do you look in that scenario? I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this, but in all of those lessons, the Lord required me to trust him intimately. He wanted me to see him clearly to know that he sees, he avenges, he judges, he protects. 
I mattered to him. And every tear lost mattered to him. If Jesus, who knew Judas, would betray him, could have him as a close companion, do life and ministry for three years, share truth with him again and again and again, entrust money in his safety and provision, share himself wholly with him, wash his feet, share bread at a moment, hours before he be led to a betrayal, and then allow him to kiss him as an indication of who he was to be led to a cross. If he could do that, what is the Lord asking of us? Is he asking us to consider their backstory? Is he asking us to know that they morph, but it can get better? Is he asking us to use it as an indication of how closely we walk with him? Psalms 23 says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And in the very next verse, guess what happens? The Lord prepares a table before whom? Enemies. Can y'all imagine that table? Can you imagine a table with your enemies surrounding you? But guess what? Don't invite the enemy to the table, but it's in the presence of your enemies. We have an opportunity to be like Christ. He modeled it clearly. People have backstories. People morph. People are an indication of our walk. So this is what we're going to do. This is our Bessie moment. If you've been following Blue Ridge, the cow, the black and white cow, Bessie. We're at Bessie, y'all. Remember the initials of the person, either their name or initials that you wrote down. What is Jesus calling you to do? Is the Lord asking you to consider this person's backstory, their personhood, their need for a savior, just like us, their hurt or humanity? Is the Lord asking you to consider that they morph to own your slice, consider what your role is, establish or reinforce boundaries, identify one thing to move forward? Is he asking you to consider that they're an indication of your maturity with him? Is God teaching you something? Is there something that's growing or being revealed to you, being pruned from you, fostered in or through you? Is there something he's extracting? For three to five minutes of just quiet reflection, please don't move from this. Just ask the Lord if there's something he wants to say to you or show you that he would do that. And then I'll come back and send you with your table work. Three to five minutes. <laughs>